and there's a lady that I just met and she's wants to grow the greatest beard ever. She's the one who wants the fish. electronic wireless show it is the 26th of july 2017 i'm your host philippa war and joining me as usual and wonderfully so i have brendan caldwell hello and adam smith hello how is everybody today tired (laughs) brendy is tired Adam, you are also tired. I'm pretty tired as well. <laughs> I was tired five minutes ago when uh, you first asked me that question, but now I'm wide awake. Oh, really? What happened in the middle? The wonderful drug called caffeine. <laughs> I've had a very disrupted day because I keep um, noticing that it is raining really hard outside and then running outside to try and set up my little collecting pots for water because I've just got some carnivorous plants and they don't like tap water, they like rainwater or distilled water. They don't like tap water? Like, they're picky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently tap water has too many like dissolved stuff in it like the stuff that purifies the water for for human drinking is not stuff that does good things to um to plants like venus flytraps and pitcher plants which is what i've got but okay so venus flytraps make me think of horror films which make me think of scary things which make me think of today's topic which is scary things in games that aren't specifically horror games (laughs) How is that for a segue? <laughs> that was well done. That was done well. And the Venus flytraps, uh, I, I mean, they, they feel like a computer game thing to me. And that maybe that's just because of Mario. That Mario has Venus flytraps. Oh, the piranha plants. Yeah, they're kind of like Venus flytrap adjacent, I guess. But they spit mm. fire as well, which, you know, I guess in yours don't. Uh, well, not yet. I, not I, yet. You know, obviously I don't know. I've, I haven't angered them yet. <laughs> So, you know, as soon as we have a, a, a period of drought, like, perhaps I'll find my room burnt down. Who knows? But yeah, I, I, I um, am Mr. Horror. That's what people call me. Uh, <laughs> usually just when I go to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> we just bring out your account. Oh, my God. You know. And then, <laughs> uh, I but, see uh, what you did there. But no, I did. Um, so so I, I wanted to talk about horror games because uh, it started to become a little bit of a running joke that I was scared of everything and I was like this isn't true because if I'm scared of everything then how would I write about so many horror games and then I you know that I love horror fiction and horror the horror genre across all kinds of media uh, and, and I explicitly like it because it scares me so much and I know people who are big horror fans and they'll kind of say you know oh yeah I love horror films and then you're like well they, none of them scare you and they're like yes because I you know immune to them they kind of got desensitized and I never have, and that's why I still enjoy horror so much. If I think if I got desensitized to it, then I'd stop enjoying it, because that's the point of it. But when I did our top 25 horror games, I realized that a lot of the things I wanted to include, uh, because I'd found them very frightening, they weren't horror games at all. And I think that the scariest things for me, and the perfect example of this is probably um, the Thief games, um, which, you know, they're not horror. Um, they're very tense, but the the, the stealth games, they're uh, kind of more... Um, steampunky adventure games in a way or immersive sims or whatever you want to call it but they're not explicitly horror games but all three of them and there are only three of them have one level which a lot of people will say is the scare one you know one of the scariest levels in any game and and i think those moments are always the ones that i find the most frightening because it's 
you know, if you play something like Dead Space and it's 30 hours of guts and gore and jump scares, then you do get desensitized. But when it's suddenly you're in a world that makes sense and then suddenly it just shifts slightly for, for, you know, just one hour in the middle of the game and it's like, okay, now you're in somewhere that is totally uh, unnatural and doesn't feel like the rest of the game. That's really frightening, I think. I think I haven't, because I stay so far away from horror, I tend towards the absolute other end of the spectrum, so you don't often get those incursions beyond um, like manageable stuff, as in the uh, horror of A House of Many Doors or Fail Better's games, you know, that kind of almost cosmic horror or you know things that you chew over and that stick with you because they're very evocative but not in the sense of a creeping dread so much as just an atmospheric manipulation um this coming from the person who loves subnautica which i find really frightening it's because i'm not afraid of under the sea (laughs) but i think um going back to what you were saying just before before we talk about how awful Under the Sea is and how both of you are wrong on that front. Um, I was thinking of Bioshock Infinite because I played through that and it's, you know, it's Bioshock Infinite, whatever. Um, But then towards the end, you get like a couple of moments where a thing will just appear directly behind you or something. And it's things like that. It's a... I don't want to call it a cheap trick because sometimes it can be used really effectively, but it's that sort of thing where it's going to get a jump regardless of how easily scared you tend to be. Yeah, yeah, because it's just almost a physiological reaction, right? So, mm. um... But I did resent the game for that and I d- it did sour me on the experience because it was a bit of a kind of... It felt like a cheap shot in that regard. That's probably one of the smaller reasons why i resented that game <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> but we're not talking about we're the not other gonna stuff do yet. that again, no. <laughs> but yeah you guys both didn't don't do well with under the sea do you no i never have and um i had a very close friend i say had in past tense this is because we drifted apart not because something horrible happened under the sea <laughs> hang on you literally drifted apart like we was waves yeah no we we met we met clinging to driftwood um um, and she used to do uh, uh, deep sea diving and she'd come back from these holidays and tell these stories about how she used to do wreck diving specifically oh my god and she'd come back and tell these stories about you know i went to and you know it's like specific wrecks that you go to so so you know i went to this um uh, wreck and you know there's like a moray eel in one of the portholes and stuff and i'm just like well this is absolutely you know horrifying beyond all belief <laughs> and she's just like what like and she was telling it as an amazing story and i honestly the first couple of times we had these conversations i thought she was telling them as scary stories but she wasn't at all and i just assumed <laughs> everyone was terrified of the water like um I, I guess it's partly that it's so alien which is something that you know subnautica obviously amplifies but it is also i guess a sense of helplessness and not belonging and i think that's what a lot of horror is for me is uh it's being in a place where you feel that you're not supposed to be um so a place where you literally can't breathe out an apparatus is is a perfect example of that but it's also yeah. the darkness of it it's the it's the sense of the crushing pressure of it but yeah and also the things that live down there I'm presuming that you say all of this as somebody who's literally never deep sea dived. I've never been in the deep end of a swimming pool. <laughs> I've seen so many things though, like uh, I've seen that David Attenborough show. <laughs> planet Earth. Planet Blue. Blue, the oh, blue, planet. blue planet. Blue planet. Yeah. planet. Yeah. yeah, planet Earth is fine. It's the other one, the blue planet, that's next door to it. <laughs> Completely different planet, Pip. <laughs> I got a question. Like, so you both played Subnautica. Did you have a room that you put a bed in, and like, like a personal room? And where, where did you put it if you did? So what I did was um, my the base that I think of as my home base because I've never built another one quite like it that I felt as fond of. Um, is that one that was right next to the volcano, the heat vent thing, um, and so I. I built it without like the 
bed and things like that because I, you, you don't need to use them. But I made sure that there was a little observatory that stuck out over the over the heat vent so that you could be there and be surrounded by the um, the stuff that it was chucking up into the air and be part of that action and I put plants in there and I think there's a chair in there you know so there is a room that is kind of my relaxation room or the room that I would have as my lair's office right because I find the idea of sleeping beneath the waves frightening so I built a little bedroom above the surface of the level of the water <laughs> and it, it and some solar panels were the only thing that I had above the water and then everything else was below. It was like, okay, after a hard day's work below, I know I'm a human. I don't belong down there. I shouldn't mm. be sleeping down there. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so I had my my bed was up up top. I didn't build anything because I was just I refused to accept the fact that I was going to be there for more than an hour. I was just like, as soon as I start laying down roots, then I've accepted this is my life now. So I just kind of drifted around in that little submarine thing. I didn't get very far. <laughs> Did did you hear any sounds that caused you alarm? I heard sounds that caused me alarm. It was like creaking metal and stuff, and I was like, that's enough for me. Now, I've seen screenshots of things in that game. You pretend it's a gardening simulator or something, Pip, and it's not. It's a terrifying, terrifying monster sim. It's delightful! <laughs> there, there are terrifying moments, like whenever you... There are big underwater cave systems, and when you go in there, it, it scares the living hell out of you like it's 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 frightening and there are signs that come from there oh god just deep groans of something that you don't you don't understand you don't know what it is <laughs> i've had moments where i was really tense because i thought my oxygen was going to run out you know when i was lost in a cave system or something like that but i don't think i've ever drowned like that i've been killed by things and had to sort of start from my base again um because some of the creatures are aggressive so water is terrible we've done that that's done space is also terrible that's got a lot of similarities you know like um another place where we're not supposed to be um and also the woods we shouldn't be in the woods you know uh, <laughs> there's terrible things out there um you see, this is the thing, though. I'm like, you know, cities are safe. That's where you should be. And I realize that, obviously, cities are incredibly dangerous. Um, but they're not haunted, usually. It's a different kind of danger. No, there's lots of us there as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and I think that all the things that frighten me are, are non-human, um, which is interesting. Because if I'm being rational about it, then, yeah, of course, um, man is the real monster. But, but... Um, it's it's the stuff that I don't. It's the things I don't understand that frighten me. And obviously, I understand people perfectly. But it is it's the it's the inexplicable stuff. Um, and uh, so so you know, hauntings frighten me. And I'm talking about in games and in films. You know, not in real life. I'm fearless in real life when it comes to hauntings. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, like I always bang on about Silent Hill, and um, and I love those games. And one of the things that I love about Silent Hill too, specifically, is the is the opening of it is this very very long sequence where you're just walking you're walking toward the town Silent Hill and you're walking down um, these kind of wooded paths nothing happens you're just walking but the sound design is absolutely phenomenal and it essentially just builds up this this sense of being watched and being followed but it doesn't do anything to you you know nothing happens you don't get attacked nothing jumps out at you um, it's just a sense of being watched and it uses the game's camera in this incredibly creepy kind of voyeuristic fashion where you know these just the, the camera is suddenly your enemy you know it's not the thing that's giving you access to your character it's the thing that seems to be stalking your character in a way and um and it's it's maybe 20 minutes where nothing happens there's no combat there's no real dialogue there's one sequence um and there's no exposition it's just you're a person walking in a place you don't know with bad visibility and that is absolutely horrifying to me it's just that having no reason for um what you're doing there's no context given and, and that's more unnerving than you know the the big story that comes out in the end you know alien isolation is a game that really frightens me and it does the same thing at the start where there's like an 
hour or even more before the bad alien shows up and the that whole time is just spent oh when's it gonna arrive when's it gonna arrive oh there's something it's gonna be in the next room it's gonna be in the next room and you just feel like it's just I don't know that suspense does just ruins me. I think it's a thing that game horror games in particular are often very bad at because um, they uh, they 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 spend so much time building toward a thing. Uh, and again, Dead Space is a good example. I like Dead Space actually, um, but it absolutely does the thing where uh, if you look at the kind of curve of the tension, it starts off and it's like oh bad things are happening and it builds up and builds up and builds up, and then within the first hour it reaches a crescendo where it's just extreme violence, dismemberment, uh, horrors everywhere, and then it can't back away from that anymore. It's kind of, yeah. it's 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 got to that point, and I had exactly the same thing with Outlast 2, which um, came out this year, and, and the first Outlast I didn't particularly get on with, but but um, but it's done some clever stuff. I mean, it's, it's essentially a found footage game, which I find interesting, because found footage in film is such a uh, predominant horror form now. But uh, games don't really do it very often, and uh, and Outlast is a game seen through a camera, so it all uses night vision, and it's got some beautiful visual effects. And Outlast Two takes it into the outdoors. In the first one, you're in an asylum, and the second one, you're outdoors in this kind of village that's been taken over by a cult. And it's just, it just didn't work for me at all. And part of the reason is that within an hour of starting the game, the worst things that can happen to you have already happened. So you think, well, you can't escalate anymore. Uh, so it's just on this kind of flat line of just extreme anguish, and there are no dips and there are no no peaks and no troughs anymore. It's just horror upon horror upon horror, and it just becomes it just becomes dull and or or even farcical. Um, there are points where I was just like, this is just funny now because um, this character has had so much happen to him in like the six hours I've been playing that, and none of it has a lasting effect on him because you know he just bounces back and starts running again. And it just becomes really silly. So, uh, which is why I think that the thief model of just throwing in the scary level, uh, the cathedral in the first one, um, and uh, the third one's the most famous one, probably the cradle, which is the kind of triple whammy of it's a, a an orphanage that became a mental asylum and then burned down. You know, and it's like what a ridiculous thing, um, but it's brilliant. I mean, it's just such a creepy, creepy place, and it flips everything around because you're a character that has to stay in the shadows to hide from people who hunt you with light. What happens when you're a place that's full of ghosts that actually creep through the shadows? Then everything gets switched around and flipped on its head and suddenly hiding in the shadows is the most terrifying thing you can do. That's clever. So that reminded me of a couple of things. Um, But I was also thinking uh, about Skyrim, actually, because I think... or No, Oblivion. because when I was playing that for the first time, when I got super into it and spent hours and hours and hours on that, um, once I had mopped up the main storyline and, you know, the uh, Brotherhood quests and all of those things, I ended up just sort of pootling about the alien ruins. And those are creepy as heck, because they are these underground kind of tomb-ish spaces and so it's the they're very dank and dark but they have this eerie light glowing in various points and there's wraiths that you know glide about but also they're booby trapped and so they're just these um what you were saying about thief reminded me because they're just these very tense spaces that are an interesting punctuation for the rest of the game, which is far more, you know, roaming about and usually levelled up to the point where, you you know, you can do stealth standing right in front of someone's face and thwacking them in the head with a broadsword. And they'll just still be like, yeah, you get the stealth bonus. The Elder Scrolls has precedent for that, um, because I I think that one of the scariest games I can remember from growing up was um, uh, Daggerfall, which is the second Elder Scrolls game. And for two reasons. One was sound again. Uh, so there are skeletons in that game because it's a fantasy game. So of course there are skeletons running around. And they just scream. And I don't know why they scream. Maybe it's because they're dead and that's horrible. But they have this horrible scream that they just do. And I'm used to skeletons in games making like a rattling bone noise or something. You know, there's there's kind of tropes that go with skeletons. And screaming really loud in a sort of suffering fashion isn't one of them. So they 
freaked me out a lot when I first saw them. Um, and the second thing is that, and this is another thing that I'm really fascinated by, is um, uh, Daggerfall has procedurally generated dungeons, which was really uh, novel back then. I know procedural generations everywhere now, but it was extremely novel. And one of the things about it, and a lot of people hate Daggerfall because of this, and I can understand why, is that sometimes it'll generate a dungeon that you literally can't get back out of because you'll go into it and you'll fall down a pit or you'll jump into an underwater flooded section and then it's just too... The, the bit you drop down is too high and you can't actually climb back up again and you're just stuck. Uh, and that is creepy as hell. Like This idea that, you know, because dungeons in games are like these places you go and you kill stuff and you get treasure chests and you get loot and they're kind of happy places in a weird kind of way because it's where you fulfill quests and they're, they're, you know, where all your ambitions come true, you know. And in Daggerfall, <laughs> they're not. They're these places where, hey, you go, take the wrong turn and you're, you're trapped down there and you're going to starve to death. You're just stuck and this is the place that you now die. And that's really, really deeply unnerving to me. It's that idea that, you know, you can be one of these great fancy adventurers, but if you take a wrong turn down there in the dark, then you're never coming out again. And then you're going to turn into one of those screaming skeletons. When you mentioned um, Silent Hill, it reminded me of once I was walking home from somewhere, I think it must have been a friend's house, across a bunch of parkland and suburbs in London. And I tweeted out to say, what should I listen to on my way home? And because it was kind of one of those foggy-ish kind of evenings, um, I think Andy Kelly from PC Gamer recommended the Silent Hill soundtrack as like this atmospheric thing. That is cruel. It was creepy beyond but then google maps tried to take me down like this absolutely unlit like alleyway and i'm like no (laughs) no i'm tapping out now i thought you were about to say google maps took you to silent hill and i was like oh my god that would be quite the quite the turn that that story took it's like now i'm i'm a ghost now basically i knew it Oh, wow. Shall we talk about what we've been playing this week? Uh, Brendy, you've been playing Pyre, right? I have been playing Pyre. Is that full of terrifying fake sports? Horror in netball? There's no horror really to it. There's, it doesn't, there's no scary parts I can't think of at all. But uh, yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, Pyre is the new game from Supergiant Games. They're the people who made Bastion and Transistor, uh, all very colourful games. And this is no different, uh, except that it is less of a walking around and slashing things and more of a playing a sports game as part of a tournament to get out of a purgatorial state of being, which is strange and unusual and very inventive. Is this like in Bill and Ted's bogus journey when they have to play play games battleships with death. death? Yeah, yeah, and like Twister and things. It's kind of like that. Basically, you watch you. It, it it's got almost a visual novel approach as well because you meet all these characters and you talk to them and you make choices to them through dialogue, dialogue windows and stuff like that, and then uh, you move a little kind of wagon around this world. Um, just clicking from place to place and it's all very clicky and very you know visual novelly and then it just um, it just switches to this sports game which is it's 3v3 and on either side of the field there's a a fire basically the pyres of the name and your job is to get the 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 celestial orb which is the ball which lands in the middle (laughs) into your enemy's fire and dice it a little bit and how much it gets diced depends on who basically throws it in every each pyre starts at 100 so if a, a bigger player goes in they might dice it by 30 but if a smaller player goes in they might dice it by 15 um, and it's got lots of little small um, rules like if you run into the fire carrying the ball you get banished for a while so you're only playing from that moment with two people against three after you've scored a goal and um, there, there's an aura that each character has and if an enemy character walks into that aura uh, it's like a it's like a, a glowing kind of circle beneath each character, uh, and if an enemy character walks into that, they get banished for a while. So it's a bit like um, playing with Venn diagrams, 
on a netball field. <laughs> and only one character can move at a time, so you're constantly swapping between them. No, none of the other characters move while you're moving any other character. It's not like a game of FIFA or PES, um, where the whole field is all moving at once automatically and you're just swapping between things that are automatically moving. You have to move everyone individually, but only one at a time. And just to be clear, these, these characters are not cars. They, this is as far from Rocket League as you can possibly get. <laughs> is it a bit more in terms of movement like the simultaneous turn-based stuff of Frozen Endzone or something like that? Um, I don't know Frozen Endzone, but it's it's also not very... It's not turn-based at all. It's all real-time. Oh, okay. You ha- and I'll talk more about this because I think mm, maybe it should have been in a turn This based. sounds tricky. <laughs> it's, it's, ve- it's very tricky. Um, it, it, the thing is, it's 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 hard to describe because it's different. It's very very different from any kind of like sport game that you may have played before, or maybe I just haven't played before. But it 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 doesn't. I don't. I just feel like it doesn't quite work as a game. Like Pyreball is not that fun to play. For instance. I always was able to beat the enemy team really by using a fast character to like run around them and jump over them and more or less and you can jump up and like stop body somebody who's jumping or flying over you in midair and knock the ball out of their hands and stuff like that but I always find that that was the best strategy anyway because there will always be a gap somewhere in their defenses and if you can just be faster all the time then there's no reason to use the bigger heavier characters which will have their own advantages like they have a bigger aura which means that they are you know they can banish other players more easily they can make other players sit in the sin bin basically and open the field for you to run across without any trouble but if you can run across the field without any trouble with a fast character what's the point it and it is also so at odds with what the rest of the game wants you to do which is to you get to upgrade your characters you get to give them little talismans that give them extra powers like uh makes their aura bigger or allows them to jump three times in the air or something like that you get these power-ups and it feels like it it should be an rpg with a turn-based system of combat or something like that but they haven't done a turn-based system of combat they've done this sports game which can just be gamed itself yeah i conceivably could feel like i could have not leveled anybody up and still gotten through the game and there's another thing where if you lose a game the game just continues anyway like the the story continues so if you lose a match the story continues regardless it doesn't really matter it's not significant that you've lost it that just rolls into the story and you still learn things and you still level up and your characters still go along their their business Um, and it's worth saying that the story itself is really really good it's really strong there's loads of colorful characters colorful there's loads of colorful characters (laughs) um the artwork is gorgeous um the music is good the everything else about it is really really interesting and really fun really fine didn't the announcement trailer is that that's the one that had everyone like cooing because it looked so good and so kind of intriguing and bright it looks gorgeous some of the backgrounds because you move your car, your little wagon full of players basically all the way through, and some of the backgrounds are gorgeous. There's big like giant titan corpses lying around, like big scorpions that people have been beaten. And you get a book that you read, and it's full of mythology of this world. And it can be a little boring in places, but like a lot of it is quite interesting to read. And all the characters they look kind of hand painted, the the character profile pictures almost, and they're just they're stunning like they're so well designed they're so diverse as well by the end of the 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 competition you you look at your cast of characters and there's only i think there's only two people who look alike in any way or maybe yeah there's only two people who are like from the same species or like the same people you have like demons you have little imps you have all sorts of all sorts of characters um i don't want to say too much because it might spoil different things and i think the story is the strongest thing about it so i'm trying to avoid that by just talking about the netball game that you play it's so weird because when like listening to you describing it i can't help but 
keep thinking of something like Final Fantasy X, where it was obviously it's a JRPG, but you would have a sports game kind of tacked on. Oh, Bloodsport. Like Bloodsport. Yeah. And so listening to you talk about it, it's like it's a story and it's got characters and you can give them talismans, and but it's got this sports game. It, it so keeps making me think of that. I should clarify, it does not feel tacked on at all. It feels like a lot of thought, uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, design you know decisions went into making this sport game you know to pyreball itself feels like very much like 50 percent of the focus of the game is in pyreball and 50 percent is in the story uh but i feel like pyreball it just feels like they're they went too inventive with it if that makes any (laughs) sense like they they made something new and it's interesting but it doesn't I just feel like it doesn't quite work as a game and it doesn't gel with the the things that you're doing outside of the game either. And there are even moments where there are moments where where the game will basically cheat mm. and change the rules of the match that you are playing and give the computer character an advantage that's asymmetrical to you. And the whole thing is very asymmetrical anyway because you can have three very fast characters playing off against three very big bulky characters or whatever. But when in these moments when the game cheats, for instance, it like it moves the the three opponent players forward a little during the start of the game. So they're closer to the ball when it starts or the map starts closing in. So there's less room for you to move around and more room for a big character to dominate. And there there are things like that. And it feels like they're solid parts of the story. And there are even moments where your characters will get sick and you can't send them onto the field in like a very like XCOM, these characters are wounded kind of way. Mm. Except that there's no system there for them to be wounded. The game, the story of the game has just decided these players are wounded and you can't send them onto the field. And it feels like the story starts to infect the the fairness of the game. Mm. And that might be done for a reason that, you know, a narrative reason. There, there's precedence for that that I can't talk about without spoiling things. But at the same time, it feels like it's infected this game, which is supposed to be, you know, like a sport. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it also lasts too long. I find this thing about super giant games where they take ages to get to the point. Somewhat like me. Um, <laughs> Well, hang on. So, is it solely single player? Because from what you've said, it sounds like it's very much got this story campaign. But is it also trying to be a? There's a versus game? mode, and I haven't played any of it because I don't really like the Pyreball, and I want to just know the story. So I haven't played any of the versus mode, and I feel like a lo- there might be a lot of depth there if players are coming up with different strategies and different things to play the game against each other but there, the the problem for me is just that it doesn't feel fun to play it's not like rocket league where you go in and you boost across the field and all the controls are really responsive and wonderful and everything you know every little tweak and angle matters it feels like a kind of broken version of pro evolution soccer i think i have this this thing with uh, super giant games in general that the, they're at their worst when they start inserting too much mechanical stuff like I think Bastion is the combat's fine in Bastion, but uh, I always felt like it was just there to punctuate the stuff that I actually cared about, which was just the world design and the story and the music. And I didn't finish Transistor partly because it felt like it was much more. It's interesting you said that you know it feels like the story's infecting the the actual sport part, and uh, and I found with Transistor it was the other way around. I felt like the actual stuff I had to do was infecting the the story and I just wanted to get on with that and yeah I always find that frustrating when two things don't gel and I feel like they're interrupting each other rather than sitting comfortably together. The the story works well in the confines that as far as the idea of there being a set of rights like a sport competition that you have to excel at and be good at in order to get out of purgatory is a really really fun premise and it really really works especially later in or well kind of later in the game when you find out exactly how this tournament operates and how you can manipulate the tournament right and this yourself. is similar. i won't spoil bastion either but bastion is similar in that like as much as i might complain about the combat it's absolutely integral to the story like the fact that you are getting more and more weaponry and that it gets more and more over the top is is 
fundamentally part of what the story's doing. So yeah, but uh, the 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 big thing for me is that it just doesn't feel very good. Yeah. And also, yeah. I should point out if anyone's planning to play it, don't play with a mouse and keyboard because the controls are awful. They're so unintuitive. They're so wrong. It's like they've just you don't you don't move your characters with like the Wasad keys or even the mouse to like move them around. As you move the mouse, you kind of hold the mu- the left mouse button down to move your character forward. And some characters are really slow and you just have to hold the mouse button in one place for ages. And then all the buttons to do all your abilities are are so wrong. It just feels so bleh. Um <laughs> And yeah, yeah. So if I feel like if you're having trouble with that, like switch to a gamepad if you can, because it increase it like it, it makes the sport itself a hundred times more playable, and it's still you know a bit jank, or, you know wrong, but it 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 works finally. <laughs> <laughs> that's Pyre. <laughs> so so I I've, I've been playing a game that sounds like the complete opposite, and it's a game where there is absolutely no way that the story can infect the game or vice versa because the story matters so little and just gets disposed of it's like a wafer uh, and that's yonder the cloud catcher chronicles which uh, john already reviewed uh, and i f- was intrigued by his review and i thought i'll give this a shot and then i just sank like six hours into it in one session um, <laughs> and i really didn't expect to like it i was i was intrigued i didn't go into it i didn't i didn't read john's review and think god this sounds like something i'll hate i'm gonna play this but i did think i don't know if this is gonna work for me i'm interested so um uh and it, it's it's like a it's got a farming um management side to it it's got exploration but basically it's you're a little person you're on an island where you've been shipwrecked and there's lots of people who need your help for various things and you can build farms and you can herd animals to the farms and all this stuff and none of it matters and it's kind of beautiful it's just like you end up with like a list of tasks that you need to do none of them are urgent none of them are pressing everyone's just kind of chilled out like you know someone will be like oh you know i need your help to do this but they're just kind of smiling while they say it. it's like you know i need a new top hat and you're like well there's no pressure i'll get you a top hat and you just go back like (laughs) two seasons later and they're like oh thanks for the top hat and they're just really pleased you did it because nothing bad is happening and it's got like the stories like there's there's this murk that's taken over this like the world this purple murk everyone's so chilled out about it though it's like there's ruined houses with this murk spreading around them and you're like in most games people would be like oh no the murk has come and destroyed our village and they're just like oh if you could clean that up it'd be great but honestly we are fine we just built a new village (laughs) it is fine there is absolutely nothing to worry about so you just chilled out you just relaxed and there's no combat there's no violence it's just go around and stroke animals and collect things and build things and i don't know if i'll finish it um because it's maybe a little bit too laid back for me um i need some conflict at some point i think um but it's such a nice place just to be and it's really beautiful uh, i was i was playing the other night and one of the um tasks that i got and they're called tasks not missions or quests they're just tasks um was to bring somebody a specific kind of fish and uh, and this fish only appears around midnight in freshwater lakes. So I found a freshwater lake. I sat by it all day and waited for the sun to go down on a mountainside. Uh, and then I caught the fish. And then I was like, I'm just going to stay here and watch the sun come up from this mountain. And it was just stunning. I mean, like literally just the light kind of bursting through the clouds as it came up. And there was a storm. And you could see all the rain with the light like glistening off the rain as it came across. And lightning it all through the night. And then just suddenly just peace and tranquility as the sun came up. And I was just like, this is just absolutely, like, it's just, yeah, splendid. Such a lovely little game. And I've seen, I've been reading reviews of it, and a lot of people are just like, it's just dull. I just, you know, I, uh, there's no um, there's no drive. There's no reason to do anything. There's no uh, kind of, yeah, there's no pressure. There's no conflict. And I absolutely see why people don't like it. I totally uh, am sympathetic to people who just find it, it dull and boring and... Um, and too kind of wishy-washy and vague but uh but i i think it's just extremely pleasant and a really nice antidote to um the not just not not just the violence it's not just the lack of violence it's a really good antidote to the kind of games and i know we always say ubisoft games it's not just ubisoft but all those open world games with millions of icons because yonder has so much to do but 
it just doesn't seem to care if you're doing it. It's just you do it at your own pace and there's no pressure. So you don't feel like you're kind of going around cleaning everything up and trying to um, get some kind of stability. It's just, no, things will be fine, whatever you do. So just do the next thing that looks like it might be fun or just wander around and you'll find something interesting to poke at. Like one of the long-term quests is to find, I think it's 75 cats that are scattered around the island. That this, this, this woman's like, oh, I've lost my cats. And you're like, oh, I'll find them. How many are there? And she's like, 77. And you're like, okay, great. You know, I thought there were going to be three. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and they're just like hidden all over the world. And you just find them and they're just like lying, like, you know, in the snow on a mountain, just playing with a snowball like it's a ball of wool. And it's just, it's just really cute, you know. And, and yeah, it's just, it's just so likable. And you could just make new clothes for yourself. And like, and there's a lady that I just met and she's, wants to grow the greatest beard ever she's the one who wants the fish uh and she wants this fish because she's like i don't want to eat it but i heard that if you like get the oil from the fish and rub it on your face then you can grow the most awesome beard ever i'm just like i want to help this lady grow an awesome beard of course i do so so that's why i sat on a mountain all night fishing and now she's got a great beard and she's like going around bragging about it to everyone and it's just that's amazing it's just such a nice game uh, and so yeah you know nothing scary's happened either even i have managed to not be afraid of it yet such an achievement i know <laughs> very proud of myself there's time <laughs> yeah no exactly i'll find there's an underwater level or something like oh yeah <laughs> crabs you gotta deal with or yeah well that's the thing. you don't have to deal with anything like the only thing that happens with animals is the, the only time there's any kind of interspecies conflict is if you've not got the kind of food that an animal likes to eat and you walk toward it it just turns its back on you in a huff that's it that's all that ever happens <laughs> that's just animals <laughs> exactly <isn't> it? <laughs> and, it's just like, and you kind of run around them like oh come on and it's like nope just shuffle around like nope no look at my butt look at my butt not my face and then if you have the food they like they just turn around with all hearts coming out of them like oh you're so cool <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> How much is it? Is it like an expensive, like little thing to pick up, or is no, it? No, it's it's nineteen pounds on Steam at the minute. So similar to like Stardew Valley or something. Yeah, yeah, and it's a. Uh, I mean, it's it's weird because I would say that it looks like a game made by a smallish team, uh, but at the same time, it looks like a game made by a smallish team who are absolute masters at their craft. Uh, I think it was six or seven people on the team that made it, and uh, so it it doesn't look incredibly like technically accomplished. That sounds really cruel. It does actually. It looks phenomenal, uh, but at the same time, it doesn't. It doesn't like it's got all the bells and whistles that you know a, a big AAA game would have. But but what it does, and this is a compliment. I'm leading toward a big compliment. What it does is it uses every little trick up its sleeve visually to just make the most extraordinary beautiful world so it's got like lots of depth of field and bloom and stuff and it's it's the kind of thing that i normally find distracting but it's all done with such a a good eye toward how to make a visually pleasing world so so like you see things off in the distance like a, a village at night and just the way that the windows light up just just looks extraordinarily you know um evocative you know uh yeah, and also you can always see really far into the distance. So uh, it's just the, the world isn't very big. I mean, it, it's big, but it's not stretched out, if that makes sense. So like, you'll have a desert and it's pretty much next to the snow area. You know, um, you don't have to walk for hours to get anywhere. Um, so you can always kind of see the last place you were at. It's something that I remember seeing someone once called it a Tolkien distance, as in uh, J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, um, that, that in, in Middle Earth, the way he writes it, there's always this sense that you can always see the next landmark. So if you're standing in Minas Tirith or whatever it's called, you can probably see Mordor just down the way. Uh, everyone seems to be able to see everything because it's always like... Property prices would just like, <laughs> plummet. It's but, like, lovely Mordor yeah, views. Yeah, just down the road. But uh, but it's that <laughs> idea that you know that, that these things are kind of just symbolic. So they're always, vis- they're always visible. And Yonder mm. gets that, I think, really well where it's like, oh, I need to get something from this mountain. And wherever you are in the world, if you look, you'll be able to see the mountain and you can just walk to it. Uh, and it's got like a beacon on top of it. So everything's just visually present all the time, which, uh, yeah, it's just really special. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally in love with it. And I, as I said, I, I, I don't know if I'll play it for like, you know, 20, 30 hours, maybe 
I'll go back and do another few hours and that'll feel like enough, but they've been really, really nice hours. That sounds really nice. It's made me want to check it out for sure. Yeah, totally. I think you should. <laughs> sounds very pip game, but because uh, I've been playing a couple of things. Um, one of them, uh, which I'll talk about now, is Dream Daddy. And that's uh, another gentle thing we seem to have been having a week of kind of pretty and gentle things maybe after you um, got past all the horror yes indeed the terror and the horror and well it depends whether you find sort of middle class suburban um existence and romance novels terrifying i absolutely do i absolutely do probably um i think because i really liked playing it and i'm glad that it exists uh in the same way that i'm glad that um life is strange exists in that it's a uh, a sentiment and a way of characters interacting with each other and having uh warm relationships uh, in a way that you don't encounter in games at all often especially in you know AAA or just generally mainstream games and obviously in Life is Strange that was to do with teenage relationships and here it's actually the the father-child stuff because um, it doesn't feel, in terms of the actual dads dating one another um, you know, they're, they're positioned as some of them are obviously uh, gay archetypes or stereotypes in terms of how they look or how they start talking to you um, and others are more you know just fit within just more general pop culture niches like the goth or you know that kind of stuff um, uh, and so you also get to set up a little bit of your character like whether the other parent of your child was a mother or a father and so that kind of impacts maybe how you think of your character's sexuality or relationship with that um, in the game but otherwise it doesn't really contextualize gayness if you see what I mean you're sort of all on this cul-de-sac and you know no one has any uh concerns like there's not any um sense of danger like of suburban persecution gay paradise. Or... I've seen yeah basically I've seen conversations that are starting to spring up around it um and one of the things that I've seen is people saying you know it it doesn't um and I'm speaking from a position of ignorance on some of these issues, so forgive me if I'm, you know, uh, not getting this right. But I've seen some people saying that uh, the fact that it kind of erases or ignores um, the the queerness of the dads and just kind of treats it as normal is really nice because it makes it a safe space and just says, hey, you know what? That, that sorry, safe space isn't the term people are using, but but you you take my point that it makes it something where you know, it's almost like an idealised version of um, this kind of it's dating. It's from a, a position of we've moved past all yes. the problems. Yes, and then yeah, um, and then I've seen other people say that in itself is a problem because it's um, a game that is uh, ostensibly tackling some queer issues, but actually it's not interested in them at all. Uh, and I've seen some people saying that is a problem in itself, uh, which which I think goes to more what people want from that game and what they expect from it because i think that my thing would be if it's a visual novel style dating sim i wouldn't expect it to be uh anything but fluff really so yeah like i find that i i'm really interested to read other people's opinions especially in in terms of how you respond to it if you if you're speaking from lived experience yeah, you know because yeah. Um, I am not a gay dad uh, so I can kind of like see uh, you know you can see instantly some of the problems uh, that might spring up around the game as in you know it's this idealized thing it actually erases a lot of context for a lot of um, gay spaces or you know things that um it's a really hard thing to talk about on a podcast and uh, make sure that you're sort of saying 
what you want to say correctly but so hopefully people will take this in good faith uh, but it's that thing of um i can see why some people would say it's co-opting an identity just to sort of create a really vanilla dating experience that you know um will sell because you know there's not much out there or whatever else um but also i came at it from the position of somebody who has played a lot of dating and romance sims and so i don't look at them and expect them to represent like straight relationships with accuracy or you know it's that they tend to be fluffy as well and obviously that doesn't come with the same baggage or have the same issues of erasure or um any of that kind of thing um but it's to say that i wouldn't go to a reese witherspoon romantic comedy expecting to see my life mirrored back at me and so to see here that it was as fluffy and as you know sort of bowden catalogy looking as yeah. um as it is that didn't necessarily surprise me obviously it's you know in in context it's got very different emotional baggage but i also think that um in the same way that rupaul's drag race is the only show really on mainstream tv that uh, features and focuses on drag queens and drag culture like it it then becomes this um thing that there aren't any alternatives so it has this pressure to be all things to all people even though and so it's like well it can't be and it's problematic in all of these ways but it's also still a triumph of getting something that is very much part of like queer culture or subversive culture or gender f word culture because we do not now swear on this podcast um and so uh, it's it's that thing of balancing how you talk about it and for me the the best thing about it was how it portrays the relationships between the dads and their children i i think that without you know because there aren't a hundred other games out there that are also representing different facets of the gay experience or of you know the bi experience or anything like that you you kind of grab onto these moments and try and celebrate them but the overall experience that i was left with was something so warm and i'm so glad that it exists to punctuate the other stuff that's out there and to offer like the beginnings of that counterpoint but yeah it is i would say in the nicest like in the in the fluffiest possible way it's toothless you know it's kind of it's very vanilla it's very you know whatever like there are some interesting moments in it and i sort of tried to explain a bit more of that in terms of some of the relationships that you can have and stuff like that but yeah like i like i say it's i think it's better at being a game about dads and their kids than it is about being about the gay or bi experience believe that takes us up to reader questions or actually uh in light of our new talking about a topic each week we had a bunch of people submitting their stories about um horror moments within games that aren't specifically horror didn't we we did and we had lots of explicitly horror games as well uh there's so so many responses to this so unfortunately i'm gonna have to leave a lot of people out i'm afraid um, well, shall we start with the with the email? Brendy, would you like to read that? Uh, yeah, we've got an email from Tom Cleaver as well, uh, who says, um, when I was about two or three years old, my dad bought home brought home an Apple Macintosh, which his employer had given him for work. I was captivated and sat on his knee as we tried out the games that came with it. All I remember clearly was a moment after climbing a mountain in a text adventure with basic graphics, A huge eagle appeared on the screen and let out a terrifying shriek. It must have scared me hugely because it lodged in my mind and became one of my earliest memories. 
Um, and the wonderful thing is, he says then that years later, he tried to find out what this game was, and he didn't know what it was, and it was like his white wheel. And every time he would try and find it, uh, he couldn't find it. And he says, This year, with a baby son of my own sitting on my knee, I was motivated to try again, and at last I find it. Here, from the 1986 shareware game Radical Castle, is the mighty creature which planted the seed of terror so deep within me and his piercing roar. And I am going to, through the magic of podcasts, play that (laughs) piercing roar for you right now. (gasps) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I guess what is horrifying depends on a lot of factors, like um, whether you are a tiny, tiny child. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> some some of the stranger ones uh, that we have here, uh, original Starcraft, um, being spawned by Zerg, waiting for dropships to arrive. You know, which you wouldn't traditionally think of as being a scary game. One, I guess this is an unusual one from Andrew Freeman. Uh, he says uh, Subnautica, which you know means Subnautica. <laughs> 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 you have you got like some random internet I have a accounts lot of alts, that you yeah. decided to. <laughs> Um, System Shock 2, a few people have mentioned, which is a classic. Um, the monkeys in System Shock 2 were always the thing that got me. Um, psychically controlled lab experiment monkeys that really hate you. Something about them just no, do, do not like. Um, <laughs> Amnesia, which is another old classic, um, has the water monster sequence, which I think is the thing that gets most people. Actually, George Rowe on Twitter has said, uh, the fear of loss when you come across a new Dark Souls boss, like, am I going to have to do this all again? <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, and you are. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, Minecraft got a few shout-outs, um, which is, yeah, I, I was going to mention Minecraft because I think Minecraft can be really eerie. And it's a similar thing to Daggerfall. It's that thing of at night being lost alone and you can go into caves that just go on forever. And the creepers are obviously, oh, they, God. They, yeah, I mean, creepers are proper horror baddies. You know, they get close to you, they explode. That's scary as heck. You hear that hiss yeah. and then there's, you know that you're doomed and then there's the explosion. Yeah. Um, I'm going to rattle through a few more. There's um, Halo with the flood. It's one for you, Brendy. Yeah. Library. <laughs> that was a scary place. Yeah. Scariest library I've ever been in. That's another example of a game that's not a horror game that suddenly becomes horror as well. Um, did you see Ed Key's I response did, yeah, as yeah. well? Yeah. Uh, which was yeah, hired guns, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it was a very strange game. It's like a first-person game, but you had a squad. So you had four separate screens, and you could see what all your squad were doing. So you'd send one of them into a scary place, and then it did the aliens thing where you know they'd get attacked and the screen would go to static, and you had to go and try and rescue them or run away. Ooh, has anyone said Duskers for the same reason? I think someone mentioned it. Has anyone said Pathologic? No one said Pathologic either, as far as I can see, although they're still coming in. Uh, people are very excited about it. Yeah, I think I think that's that's enough. So, oh, Phantasmagoria, someone said here, which is... No, that's enough, Adam, you said. <laughs> but yeah, keep those coming in, because it's interesting for us to read as well. Maybe we could like collect them into a... Yeah, I might write something about scariest horror moments, because it's always fun. You know, here's the thing. Any developers listening, make more horror games because they, they just don't come out very often. There's loads and loads of horror games get released, but they're all, you know, very similar kind of things that come up on Steam, which are like Five Nights at Freddy's. Ripping off Five Nights at Freddy's, yeah. Like, a, But they're just mainly jump scare games and, you know, they're not very interesting. They're hilarious. Oh, that, I once described Five Nights at Freddy's as the game equivalent of sitting cranking a jack-in-the-box and knowing that it's going to pop in your face any minute. (laughs) And it's just like, why would I do this to myself? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, If you would like to share one of your scary moments uh, into our inbox, we have an email address. It is podcast at rockpapershotgun.com. Alternatively, you can email questions that you'd like us to answer or suggestions for other topics that we can focus in on. You can find our wonderful website online at rockpapershotgun.com. We're on Twitter and 
YouTube at Rock Paper Shot. We are also on Facebook if you search for Rock Paper Shotgun. And if you could leave us an iTunes review saying how lovely we are, that helps other people find us and helps us reach more people with our wonderful witterings. I will leave you with our details and then uh, do we have an end theme? <laughs> I keep forgetting. We do. We have a little music thing. Excellent. In that case, uh, I'm at Philippa War, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R. Brendy is... I'm at Brendy C. And Adam is... At non-economical, N-O-N-E-C-O-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. Nice. See you all next week. Bye. Bye.